It is a gift to get to be uh, together this morning and be able to worship our Savior together. Uh, Every time we gather, it's a gift. When we get to come and be with the people of God in the presence of God, and we don't come as spectators. We don't come just to sit and stand and listen to someone else sing or someone else read or preach the word. We come as the body to worship together. That's why we're here this morning, and I hope that that's been taking place, and I hope that continues to take place as we are in 1 John. So if you have your Bible with you, go ahead and turn over to 1 John chapter 2. And we are walking through this beautiful letter together that the Apostle John, one of the twelve disciples, uh, wrote to churches whom he loved deeply and was deeply concerned about. And we've spent the last uh, several weeks in the first chapter and first half of chapter two. Just And you can see John's love and concern for these people that that he wants them to follow God, and, and throughout the letter we see this common call to deed and, and truth, to pursue the truth, to know the truth, to believe the truth, to live out the truth, indeed. And so that the way we live matters. The way that you live your life and the way that I live my life reflects whose we are, so that our deeds profess and they are a picture of our, our calling and of our position and who we are in Christ. And so that's going to be true this morning as well. Uh, and so I just want us to jump right in First uh, John chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 18. If you have a Bible with you, I would love for you to be there. If you don't, feel free to take one in the seat back in front of you. Verse 18. Children. When he says children, it's really important to know that, and we'll talk more about this next week, Uh, This isn't a derogatory term. This is not a demeaning term. He's not saying, oh, you guys are just a bunch of kids. No, that's not what's happening. Whenever you see the Apostle John use the word children, it's it's an affectional term. He loves them. He cares about them. He's speaking to them as a spiritual father would speak to their sons and daughters. So children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming... So now many antichrists have come. Therefore we know it is the last hour. And when he says last hour there twice, he's talking about we are in this period of time. Again, this was written about 2,000 years ago. This period of time is the last hour. These are the last days that they believed Jesus was coming again soon. And he is. He was then, he is now. Jesus is coming soon. We live in the tension of the now and the not yet. The now is that hope is realized. Jesus has come, he's died, he's risen again, and he's bringing a church about, a people for his own possession, as First Peter talks about. But he's coming soon. And so the way you live your life, the way I live my life, it matters And it should be with urgency and intentionality because we don't know when he's coming, but we do know that it is soon. And the God who sits outside of time and space is coming again. Verse 19, they went out from us, speaking of the Antichrist, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you have all knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. And that seems like an obvious statement, but John uh, wants them to see something, to know something. This is important for us today. 
that no lie is of the truth. So truth and lie cannot go together. And we're going to get a little bit more into the deception of the Antichrist. If you came in this morning not knowing we were talking about Antichrist, welcome to Tri-Cities Baptist Church. My name's Paul. We're glad you're here. Uh, but that's what we're talking about because a lot of times something that appears to be mostly true but kind of a little off, sometimes we want to give credit. And what he's saying is no, there's such a thing as the truth and the lie. There's, there's never a mix of those things. You know the truth. Verse 22, who is the liar? So who's the one who is lying, deceiving? He who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son also has the Father. Let what you've heard from the beginning abide in you. And what you hear, heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. That, that's a really important verse. If what you've heard from the beginning abides in you, then you will abide in the Son. If this word, this truth, this gospel abides in you, then you will abide in the Son. You will remain in the Son. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. Verse 26, I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. So there's the context. There are people trying to deceive this body of faith. But the anointing that you receive from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you, but as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it taught you, abide in him. We're going to jump over to chapter 4, verse 1, because it follows the same charge. Beloved, again, term of endearment, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, for many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. If you want to know the difference between a false teacher and a true teacher, it's do they confess that Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is Savior and Lord alone. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you've heard was coming and is now already in the world. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Amen? We're not going to have time to dig into this part this morning, but I just want to encourage you with that. He who is in you is greater than he is in the world. Whatever you face today, whatever you're walking through, he who is in you, if you're a child of God, is greater than he is in the world. That should be a comfort to our hearts this morning as we live in a broken world. Verse 5, they are from the world. Therefore they speak from the world and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. This is the word of the Lord. Let me pray for us this morning. Father God, we just ask that this morning that you give us eyes to see your truth, ears to hear it, hearts to understand it, and desires, a will to obey it. Only you can do that through the power of the Holy Spirit. And we ask that you would, in the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. A word of warning uh, from the Apostle John to us this morning. 
So as we are getting into this text, uh, we're going to be talking about deceivers. We're going to be talking about Antichrist and what those are and why should we be concerned and how do we respond to them this morning. And, and deception for us is not a, a new idea. We, we see it all the time in our culture. How many of you have ever uh, gotten the privilege of receiving a scam email? Anybody in this room can relate to that? You probably have a lot more than you ever want to see. Uh, one of my favorite ones is when you find out you have like this rich, rich um, relative from Africa, uh, when you have no relatives from Africa who's a prince and have millions of dollars, and all of a sudden he has tracked you down because he loves you and wants to give you his millions and millions of dollars because he loves you. And uh, at the same time, all he needs from you is your credit card number, your bank account number, your social security number, your blood type, and a thumbprint. That's all he needs. And a few signatures, and you can have millions of dollars. Sounds too good to be true, right? Because it is. Uh, we we are, know what it's like to have people who try to deceive us. And there are people in this world constantly who are trying to con and trick and deceive. But the same is true on a spiritual level. And this is what John is, is warning the church about, that, that there are deceivers out there. They're called antichrists. So this is our kind of big truth we're going to be coming around this morning together. Antichrists are all around us and among us, distorting the truth, deceiving the mind, denying the gospel. This is John's warning. Antichrists, they're all around us. We'll talk about that in a minute. They are among us. It should scare us a little bit. What do they do? They deceive the mind. They distort the truth. They deny the gospel. So what I want to do this morning in the time that we have is I want to ask and answer three questions that I think this, this text holds out and answers for us. And the first question we're going to be talking about is, what is an antichrist? Second question is, why should we be concerned? And then third, how, how should we respond? How, how do genuine Jesus followers respond to this message that antichrists are around us, among us? Um, and so let's start with the first question. What is an antichrist? And here's kind of an answer for our first big idea this morning. An antichrist is someone who compels the heart to hope in false saviors instead of Jesus. An antichrist is someone who compels the heart, calls your heart, calls my heart to place our hope, place our trust in something or someone other than Jesus Christ. If you have your Bible, you can look with me in verse 22. Who is the liar? But he who denies that Jesus is the Christ, or the Messiah, the promised Savior. So what is an antichrist? It's someone who's saying, hey, don't look to Jesus as your Savior. Look to something or someone else to save you, to make you happy, to fulfill your desires. And John is warning the churches then and warning our church now that the same thing is happening. So this word antichrist that we see in verse 18, there's, there's two usage of it. Verse 18 it says, this is the last hour, you've heard that antichrist is coming. Well, what's he talking about there? He's talking about the antichrist. 
the ultimate deceiver who is coming into the world. It's, it's the person that the Apostle Paul talks about as being uh, the man of lawlessness. Uh, that guy we are not talking about this morning because this passage is less about that and it's more about the others. If you have questions about that, though, every Wednesday night we have uh, a class called Behind the Message uh, where we talk more about the text and the things that are there. And so I would encourage you to come be a part of that at 6.30. Uh, Pastor Daniel will be in there. He loves answering all your questions about the end of times, Mark of the Beast, all that kind of stuff. He's an expert and would love to talk to you about how everything is going to end one day. So that's that side of that. The other side of that is in the second path of the passage. It says, so now many antichrists has come. So there is this one, but then there are many. And this is what the passage is talking about, the many. And for us today, there are many antichrists around us, and they come, and they can be from among us. So... Uh, this shouldn't surprise us. If you're taking notes, Matthew 24, 24 is an important verse. This is what Jesus predicted would happen after he died and rose again. He said this, For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders, so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. Now those last few words should scare us a little bit. There will be false Christ, this is Jesus saying this, there will be false prophets, they're going to come, they're going to try to lead people astray, and if possible, they'll even lead away the elect, people of God. Antichrists aren't just something out there just to be aware of, antichrists are coming after, listen to me church, your heart. They're coming after your heart, why? Because that's what the enemy does. We have an enemy and his mission, John 10, 10, the thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But Jesus has come that we may have life and have it to the full, have it abundantly. So we need to be aware that Antichrist are around us, but they're also among us and they can even become us if we're not careful. And so... What, what are some of the marks of an antichrist? We've said an antichrist is someone who compels the heart to hope in something other than Jesus Christ. What are some of the marks of an antichrist that we see in this passage? Let me give you a few. The first mark is this, an abandonment of God's people. An abandonment of God's people. Look at verse 19. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. What's he saying? He's saying that a lot of these false uh, prophets, these antichrists, these deceivers, they came from within the church. They were people who professed the same things that we profess, that they met in our gatherings, that they took of the Lord's Supper, that they were part of this family. But over time, they began to see in their own lives and the people around them that who they were was not a part of God's family. They abandoned God's people. They left God's people to pursue a different type of knowledge, pursue a different type of faith, pursue a different type of, of religion. And so again, that should scare us. If, if people within the church can become antichrist, how many of us are within the church? How many of us would consider ourselves to be people and a part of the family of God that they abandon the church? 
And unfortunately, we, we see a lot of people in our, our culture abandoning churches. They come for a consumeristic reason for being a part of the church family or come out of a legalistic reason and they move around. And one of the things that we see here is that, that true Jesus followers, they, they endure to the end. They persevere. They, they stay the course. They unite and lock in with God's people. Antichrist, they, they abandon God's people. Here's a second mark of an antichrist, a denial of the gospel. We read it just a minute ago in verse 22. They deny that Jesus is the Christ. What does that mean? It means that they believe there is another way to salvation apart from Jesus Christ. Or another way of saying it. You have to do all of these things in order that you might be saved. The, the thing that makes Christianity different from every other religion on the planet is every other religion is a works-based religion that you have to go here and do this and see this person and confess this and go through all these things so that you can be loved and accepted by God. But the gospel says, no, no, you can't do anything. You're so broken, so messed up, so terrible that God has to rescue you apart from you. And in our age and in our culture, another way of saying this is it's someone who looks at Jesus and says, okay, he is a way, but he's not the way. There are many ways to God. There are many ways to peace. There are many ways to truth. It's a denial that Jesus is the way, but you can't believe in Jesus and not believe that because John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. I'm the only way. And that's either a statement of arrogance or a statement of hope in the midst of falsehood. And so they deny the gospel. There are other ways to God. A third mark is a denial of the Trinity. Verses 22 through 23 says this. Or start in verse 23. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. So there's, there's this denial, there's this lie going on that Jesus isn't God. That Jesus is less than God. Or Jesus came in spirit and left in spirit. He wasn't actually a man. And, and that is heresy. It is a rejection of the truth of God's word which says Jesus is fully man and fully God, that he is a member of the Trinity, that he is God and a part of the Godhead. And these false teachers, these antichrists, they were denying that. The Father and the Son are different. A, a common version of this that we see today in our culture is the religion of Jehovah's Witnesses. Um, they would agree with us on many of the things in the Bible. They would teach very similar things. But one of the doctrines they believe is that Jehovah God is not Jesus. That Jehovah God, he sent Jesus, he anointed Jesus, that Jesus is the way to save us. But they are not the same. It is an antichrist doctrine. It is a false doctrine, false belief system. In our culture, one of the things that we see this is on the flip side. It's, it's this... Um, belief that we, the God of the Old Testament is different than the God of the New Testament. I can worship Jesus, but I can't worship the God of the Old Testament. Uh, they're one and the same. It's a denial of the Trinity. Here's a fourth mark. I know these things are heavy. Hang with me. 
There's a disregard for God's word. A disregard for God's word. Verse 24. Let what you've heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you've heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son. That's a really important verse. He's saying, in the beginning, that would be a great place to circle or underline. He says it twice. When he's saying, in the beginning, he's talking about the original word, this word, the word of God, the the true gospel. It's reminding us back to John 1.1. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. It's harkening back to Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It's the same phrase. And he's saying, you don't need a different gospel. You don't need a new revelation. Everything you need is here. And false teachers, antichrist, they, they want to disregard God's word. They want to move past it. And that leads to the final mark, an elevation of new revelation over God's word. Verse 26, he says, I write these things about those who are trying to deceive you, but the, anointing that you are, uh, but the anointing that you receive from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. Now, he's not saying that we shouldn't be under the teaching of God's word. Well, how do we know that? Because he's writing to them a teaching, right? So he's, write, he's teaching them with this letter, so he's not saying that we shouldn't be under the teaching of God's word. What is he talking about then? A new teaching, going back to chapter 1. That when people bring a new revelation, a new teaching, a, a fresh teaching, a fresh word of God, don't listen to it. It has to align with the word of God, the original, the beginning. Again, we, we see this in our culture. Mormonism is one of the examples of this. That they say they affirm the same things that we affirm in this book, but then they have extra revelation, special revelation given to Joseph Smith and given to their prophets, and that revelation supersedes this revelation. Brothers and sisters, that that is false teaching. This is the word. This is the truth. This is why things, and I know this tread a little bit on dangerous grounds here, why things like Jesus calling can be very dangerous. Because books like that, even though they're very popular in Christianity, they they affirm an extra revelation, a special word from the Lord. Jesus told me this. The Spirit told me this. No, the Spirit never says anything that's not in line with God's Word. The Spirit never contradicts God's Word. The Spirit never calls us to anything that's outside of God's Word. That's why in John 4, that we just read a minute ago, 1 John 4, he says, test the spirits. How do you test them? Against this book. And so if someone says, well, Jesus told me to do this, well, is it in line with God's word? Is it causing you to do something that's, instead of pursuing something that's in God's word, is it calling you to pursue something else? So we test it. Test it with what? We test it against this, the living, active word of God. So if I've not offended everyone already, the thing that we need to pull from all of this is not a list of, okay, is this person an antichrist? Is that person an antichrist? Here's where I hope we begin to go in this as we receive the word together. It's that we are easily deceived. How, how many of you just, you know, and it doesn't have to be in a spiritual sense, but you've ever been tricked before? Anyone's ever played April Fuel's joke? Okay, let's, let's just be really honest. Uh, parents in the room, how many of you ever kind of messed with your kids a little bit? Maybe told them something that's not quite true to be able to, okay. 
I'm glad I'm not the only sinner in the room. Thank you. We all repent together. It's accountability is good. Well, sometimes in life, uh, there are things that happen that, that you place your trust in someone and you think that they have the best intentions for you and then they end up letting you down. That, that happened to me on Wednesday night. I'm helping teach behind the message and we have this panel going on and one of my best friends comes in the room and my first thought is, man, he's just here to encourage and uh, just support and man, that's just so cool uh, that he would do that and that's not what happened. I have video evidence as to why, so check, check this out. Pastor Daniel's a deceiver. I just, I just want you to know that. I, I really did. I, when he came in the room, like that was the last thing that would have crossed my mind. I, I was like a lamb to the slaughter um, on that. Here's the reason why I share that. One, you should come behind the message because you never know what's going to happen. It's, it's a good place to be. It's much better in front of the TV. Um, here's the other reason. This gets to the second question. Why should we be concerned? Why should we be concerned about Antichrist? If it's something out there, like, why, why should we be concerned? This leads to the second big idea. We are a people whose minds are prone to deception and whose hearts are prone to wander. Don't miss this, friends. We... None of us want to think about ourselves this way. Every single person in this room, your mind is prone to deception and your heart is prone to wander. Me included. Well, how, why do you say that? Well, because verse 26. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. If John knew they couldn't be deceived, he wouldn't write these things. But he's writing these things as a word of warning because he knows that they can fall into deception. And brother, sister in this room, you and I are easily deceived apart from Christ. Let me just show you in some passages of Scripture. Now let, let this sink into your heart this morning. Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things. And it's desperately sick. Who can understand it? It's incurably sick. Your heart, my heart, everyone's heart, apart from Christ, it is broken to the whole. Romans 1.25, because they, and they being all of humanity, every single person, exchange the truth of God for what? A lie. And worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who's blessed forever. Amen. Who has believed the lie? All of us. The lie that there's something better than God. That God is holding out on us. You've believed that lie. I've believed that lie. And even for those of us who are Christians in this room... We, our heart is still prone to believe that lie. 
that happiness is found in the happiness of your kids. Happiness is found in your bank account, in your retirement, in your portfolio, in a new business, in your grades, in your friends, in a boyfriend, in a girlfriend. If I just get this thing, if I just have that thing, if that person loves me, cares about me, accepts me, if my parents will just show me their approval and affection, then I'll be happy. It's a lie. The soul was made for God alone. And whenever we try to fill it with anything else, it always disappoints. Romans 3, 10 through 12, as it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. None, no one understands, no one seeks after God. All have turned aside. Together they've become worthless. No one does good, not even one. All of us, not some of us, all of us. So why should we be concerned? Brothers and sisters, hear me, please hear me. Because your heart and my heart, outside of resting, being saved and resting and walking in the Spirit, is prone to believe that there's something better than God. And it's subtle, and it's small, and it's good things that we should enjoy, our family, our job, hobbies, that we enjoy suddenly become Things that we put our identity in and we put our hope in and take us away from the word and they take us away from our witness and all of a sudden all these good things begin to just slowly deceive and distract us from what matters. And so if an antichrist is someone who hopes in something other than Jesus and calls others to do the same, here's the word of warning, brothers and sisters. It's not only are you and I prone to deception and our hearts are prone to wander? If we are not careful, we will become antichrist. Why? Because we'll call other people to follow the things that we're following instead of Jesus. So if I, I love football and football's not bad, if I elevate it in my heart and I elevate it in my home and I build my weekend around it and then I pull my kids into that, away from the word, away from prayer, away from God's people, into that. I am all of a sudden becoming an antichrist to my kids. I give example after example after example. We become this when we get away from the truth. So the word of warning is not just beware out there. We, we should beware out there, but we need to beware in here. We need to like... The psalmist prays in Psalm 86:11, "Teach me your way, O Lord, that I might walk in your truth." And I love this: "Unite my heart to feel to, to fear your name." That on my own, my heart's chasing this thing, it's chasing that thing, it's chasing a little bit of God, it's chasing something out. Lord, unite my heart to fear your name alone. And when my heart wants to follow this, I say, no, I'm not going to follow my heart. I'm going to aim my heart at what is true. And I'm going to realign my life around what is true. And I'm going to realign my family. And I'm going to realign my priorities and my money and my time and my energy around what is true and of the kingdom of God. 
Because we have one life. And that life matters for the glory of God. So this leads us to our third question. What is the response of genuine Jesus followers? How, what do we do with this? We, we know it's happening. We see the warnings for us. How do we respond to it? I want to give you three quick things, and then we'll respond as a body. Before I do, though, let me give you one response we shouldn't have. Just as a pastoral word of warning, if you walk out of this text, out of this time of worship this morning, and your takeaway is, I need to go out and expose all the antichrist in our society, that is the wrong takeaway. John is not naming names. He's not starting a witch hunt, condemnation hunt. He's telling the church, you watch out for your heart. Start there. Be aware that they're out there, but you start here. And then he gives some things that we should pursue in light of that. Let me give you the three that he gives us. First, genuine Jesus followers hold fast to their confession that Jesus is fully God and Jesus alone is Savior. Amen? Look again at verse 22 through 23 with me. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. And then whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. <coughs> Excuse me. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. We need to hold fast to our confession that Jesus is fully God. Not kind of God, not loved by God. He is the God-man. And He alone is Savior. So church, we shout it, we sing it, we believe it, we state it. We don't push it aside in our conversations with people. We don't bat around it. This is what we hold to. It is a buttress of truth, as 1 Timothy 3 says. This is what the church is to be. That we hold to these confessions. But not just in word, but in action. Does the way that you're living your life today reflect your confession that Jesus is your Savior? Can people see it in the way that you live? Can people see it in the way that I live? Hebrews 10.23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. Second thing that we do, we respond as Christians, as Jesus followers. Second, genuine Jesus followers live every light, every day in light of the day. Capitalized. Genuine Jesus followers live every day. They live today in light of the day. Look back at verse 18. Children, it is the last hour. And as you've heard, the Antichrist is coming and so many have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. What is he calling them to? To recognize that we need to live today like Jesus was coming again. We live today in light of the day. We live every day in light of the day. What if you knew that Jesus was coming again this Saturday? You have six days. Would it change the way that you live today? Would it change the way that you respond and engage those family members in your life who don't know Jesus as Savior and Lord? Your co-workers, 
your classmates. I would pray it would change us if we knew we've only got six days left that everything else would get pushed to the margins. And what John is calling the church to do is say, don't live that way until when you find out when the day is. You know when the day is. The day is coming. Jesus is coming soon. Live that way now. Live today in light of the day. Persevere. Fight on. Share your faith. Fight for holiness. Live like eternity is in the balance because it is. It is. Persevere. Remain faithful until the end. Because the end is coming soon. Not in a negative way, but our faith becomes sight. It's coming. He's coming again. Our hope will be realized. Today matters. So we persevere. One of the most important doctrines of the church that we've kind of set aside and forgotten is this idea of the perseverance of the saints. That true Jesus followers endure to the end. The Prince of Preachers, Charles Spurgeon, he said it this way, Perseverance is the badge of true saints. The Christian life is not a beginning only in the ways of God, but also a continuance in the same as long as life lasts. Pay attention to this. This is beautiful. Conversion is a turning into the right road. The next thing is to walk in it. The daily going on in that road is as essential as first starting if you would reach the desired end. Make sense? To strike the first blow is not at all the battle. To him that overcomes, the crown is promised. To start in the race is nothing. Many have done that and have failed. Antichrist. But to hold out until you reach the winning post is the great point of the matter perseverance is as necessary to a man's salvation as conversion. Why? Because those who do not endure to the end were never saved to begin with. Those who do not endure faithfully to the end of their life were not saved to begin with. This is one of the things we see again and again in this book. That how you start is through faith by grace in Christ alone and how you end is by grace through faith in Christ alone. And we run that race. We persevere. Let me give you a few marks of perseverance. I'll be quick. These are in your notes. If you want to pull them up later, you won't be able to write them down now. And these are really just the opposite of the list that I gave you for the Antichrist. Four marks. One, live in biblical community and reject the temptation to isolation. So we read in verse 19, the Antichrist they abandoned biblical community. They abandoned the church. They abandoned the people of God. True perseverance leans into community. It leans into a life group. It leans into accountability. It longs for admonishment. It chooses vulnerability. It wants to confess and have other people help us become more like Jesus Christ. So we lean in and pursue community as we pursue perseverance. The second one, walk in the spirit and reject the temptations of the flesh. So one of the ways that you know you're persevering is when you're walking in the Spirit. One of the most important verses in this text we've not had time to get to is verse 20. It says, but you have been anointed by the Holy One. In the Old Testament, anointment was a certain person in a certain place for a certain amount of time. So think Samson. The God's Spirit came upon him. He did a certain work, defeated his enemies. It was momentary. But in the New Testament, anointment is through this Holy Spirit of God on every believer all the time. 
So you're not anointed in a moment. You are anointed in your walk. So what that means is if you are a genuine Christian, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. You can persevere, not because you're good enough, but because God is good enough living in and through you. It's Christ in you that is the hope of glory, as Colossians 1 says. And so we press on, we walk in the Spirit, we don't walk in the fruit of the flesh. Galatians 5. Third, test the spirits. Reject teaching that rejects sound doctrine. 1 Timothy 1 talks about this, Timothy 6. 1 John 4, test the spirits. Don't just accept any truth. Test it against this word. Don't just accept what I'm telling you right now is true. Test it against this word. Because this is the truth. And then fourth, in light of that, study, love, and obey God's word. And reject sinful complacency. I'm too busy, I don't have time, there's all these others. No, no, love the word, treasure the word, delight in the word. Again, going back to verse 24, let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. Listen to this, this is incredible. If what you've heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. If you let these words be rich in you, you can guarantee you will follow God until the end. His Spirit will abide in you. Love the Word. So we hold to our confession. We live every day in light of the day that is coming in. And then lastly, and the band can go ahead and come on out. Genuine Jesus followers abide in their Savior. Look with me at verse 27. Why don't you look at the last three words? Abide in Him. Abide in Him. The word abide appears five times in these last four verses. This harkens back to John 15, 5. The apostle John wrote earlier... Abide in me, apart from me you can do nothing. We rest in him, we remain in him, we pursue him, that Jesus is the hope of our salvation. Amen? This might be the most encouraging part of the whole passage. Think about this. It's a discouraging reality to hear there are antichrists around us, right? There are antichrists among us, that, that we can become that. That, that is discouraging. Let, let me tell you what's encouraging. There's no need for an antichrist unless there is a true Christ. There's no need for a false savior if there is a true savior. And friends, there is a true savior. He is Jesus and he did die in your place, in my place. When we were at our weakest, when we were going the other way, at that moment, God demonstrates his love for us. Be encouraged in that. Run to him. Rest in him. Re- repent. And return to him. For some of you, that you may not have ever known that. That might not be true in your life. That you're not a Jesus follower. You've been believing all the lies out there. And today, this morning, you realize the truth that Jesus is the hope you've been looking for. Repent of your sin. Trust in him this morning. If you are a Christian, if you are a Jesus follower, I encourage you to examine your heart, your life. Where are you prone to deception?
where are you prone to wander this morning? Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. And then here's my heart, Lord. Take and seal it. Seal it for my courts above. This morning, I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to respond. The, the band's going to lead us in a hymn and a song of confession about what we believe and why we believe it. And we're just going to sing these words. And I just want you to, as we're singing these words, pray that this confession would be true of you. This is the confession that we believe about the God who first loved us. Let's pray. Father God, we love you, and we thank you for your word, that you are the truth, you are the way, you're the life. Let us find our hope and our rest in you until you come again. In your name we pray. Amen.